Now, in our later years, as we age and become more health conscious, we think of going from sugar pops to Cheerios, the heart healthy ones, you know. But this morning, I think an even healthier breakfast is a hot cereal. Oatmeal is good. I like oatmeal. Cream of wheat is okay if you're a Yankee. I, I've, <laughs> no, really? I've had it a couple of times, you know. But now, i got to tell you that the southern hot cereal of choice is grits, you know. You've got to have your grits. Now, grits can be prepared and served in a number of ways, okay. But there's only one right way to eat your grits, okay. You take your sugar and you put it on your oatmeal. This is for butter and salt, okay? Am I kidding you not? Butter and salt. That's what it's for. Because, you know, I mean, if you eat corn on the cob, because grits come from maize or corn, right? Do you put sugar on corn on the cob? I rest my case. They do! I know! It's sacrilegious almost, but... <laughs> Have you ever eaten plain grits? No no, no sugar, no salt, no butter, no flavor. All right? You've got to add salt. You've got to add salt to add flavor. Jesus said. You know, I'll work this back to a sermon here in a minute here. <laughs> Jesus said, you are the salt, you are the flavor, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. It's to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So in my southern parable, then, what does it mean to be salt? Turn to page 5 in your worship folder. You're going to see we're going to touch on all three lessons. And we're going to go to the words of Micah, our Old Testament prophet. Micah kind of answered the question, what does it mean to be salt, in broad strokes. Verse 8 there, Micah says this. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Micah was considered a minor prophet, not because of his importance, but because his book is short. It's only seven chapters long. But Micah was also a contemporary. He was in the same time period as Isaiah, who had a huge book in the Old Testament. Now, this was like 700 years before God came from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. So this has been quite a while back. And you may not know much about Micah, but there's one quotation you would probably recognize. You just might not remember it coming from Micah. Because every Christmas, we talk about a verse from Micah. And it's the verse in uh, 5-2 where God revealed to Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Remember that comes every Christmas. As a matter of fact, the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of John both have references to the prophecy about Bethlehem being the birthplace of the Savior. You may remember from your Old Testament lessons that the nation of Israel, as far back as the Exodus, they kind of had a cyclical life as a nation they did. And it kind of reminds me of each of us, how we have a, a cycle through our individual life. I know that the nation had this kind of a cycle. They would, at one time, walk close to God. They would worship the one true God. And then they would fall into idol worship. They would be influenced by the pagan nations around them, kind of like a peer pressure, and they would fall into idolatry. They would then be disciplined by God. Discipline is never fun, is it? But they would be disciplined. Now that's followed by, hopefully, 
followed by repentance. And then God would restore them. Restoration occurred. So where did Micah fit into this cycle? In the cycle of faithfulness, spiritual adultery, discipline, repentance, and restoration, Micah prophesied during a time of rebellion. Things were not great in the kingdom at this time. His message would alternate between an oracle of doom, you're all going to die, and an oracle of hope, that God wants to save you. His theme is judgment and then deliverance by God. God's wrath and then God's mercy. Micah also stresses that God hates idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing is to come before God. Micah says God hates injustice and he hates empty ritualism. Now, rituals can be good. All church bodies have some ritual that they use. But it's the danger of when the ritual itself becomes the focus instead of the Savior that the ritual points to, then it's a problem. Or when we do that ritual so much that we go through the motions and we don't even think about what we're saying. I have one miserable sinner, you know. We've got to just think of those words. Micah says they don't want that empty ritualism. He delights, though. Our God, Micah says, delights in saving people. He delights in pardoning the penitent sinner. I love what the psalmist said. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. How long has it been since you've had a broken spirit over your sin? A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. I like how the Message Bible puts it. When I'm preparing uh, sermons and Bible studies, I like to get on BibleGateway.com and look at all kinds of different translations and see how they put it and how it's phrased here. So I'm going to quote one from the Message Bible. If you can look at your Micah and follow along and see how this fits in. But in the Message Bible, I think you can hear the sarcasm in Micah's voice just a little better. How can I stand up before God and show proper respect to the high God? Should I bring an armload of offerings topped with a yearling calves? Would God be impressed with thousands of rams, with buckets and barrels of olive oil? Would he be moved if I sacrificed my firstborn, my precious baby? to cancel my sin. And the implication, of course, is no. That's not what God's looking for. He goes on. But it's already been made plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. But take God seriously. If you want to be salty, Micah says, do justice Love kindness and walk humbly with your God. But Micah's prescription might be a little too generic for some of us. It might be a little too vague of how to be salty. It, it could leave loopholes. Well, love kindness. Exactly what does that mean? I don't think that's spelled out. I don't have to be kind to this person or that person because they hurt me first. But Paul, on the other hand, we're going to turn to Paul for a little better definition of what it means to be salty because Paul, of course, was never afraid to be blunt. He was the kind of guy that would just lay it on the line, tell you, thus said the Lord, if you don't like it, take it up with God. So he would lay it out there for you. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he starts in chapter 5 of our lesson today by setting the standard very, very high. The standard for saltiness Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. In Philippians 2, 5, he says something similar. 
have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Has anybody ever told you you needed an attitude adjustment? Well, yeah, I, I've been told that myself. Uh, I've probably said it a few times. But the attitude we need to strive for is the attitude of Christ. And that's a high, high, high standard to have that same attitude. But back to Ephesians. He continues, walk in love, and then there's a huge word, as. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. All the purity of the gospel is wrapped up in that one sentence. And as we think about Christ loves us and gave himself up for us as he did that. During the Lenten season, like during the Christmas season, there are certain verses that come to mind, certain verses that I think of and, and enjoy. Uh, and one of those that I love to hear is how the love of Christ for us, the love of Christ for us inspired him to set his face like flint. I am stone cold headed to Jerusalem to face the cross. I am determined to go take the sins of the people away by going to the cross. It was the love of Jesus for us that motivated his determination to finish the race at Calvary. Even when his humanity kicked in and humanity resisted, it was on Maldi Thursday, he was facing the knowledge that the next 24 hours of his life, during this next 24 hours, humankind is going to rain down on him all the rage, all the hatred, all the injustice that sinful mankind can ever throw at him. And that torture and that crucifixion. Even at the Mount of Olives, when he said, Father, I mean, sweating blood literally in this prayer. If there's another way, pass this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Can't we save humanity another way? But his love for us motivated the very end of that prayer. Not my will, but thine be done. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and Paul writes to us, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Author and speaker Tony Campolo tells a story about summer camp when he was a counselor at summer camp. And uh, while he was camped there, it was, he had the junior high boys. And we all say, God bless him. Because we know junior high boys can be a handful. They're a lot of fun, but they're a handful sometimes. And this particular group he had that week were a little extra on the snotty side, a little extra on the mean side. I know there's a movie Mean Girls, but it happens with boys too. And uh, there was one particular kid that was getting picked on by the junior high boys. And, and for some reason, that group of boys would always single out someone who was different. Have you seen it? Have you experienced it? To be the one that's picked on, to be the one that's belittled, the one that's made fun of? Or maybe you were in that group. Maybe you were the mean boy or the mean girl. This particular week of camp, it was Billy. And Billy was the one who was picked on because Billy was a little different. Billy had a bad leg walked with a limb and kind of had to drag that leg behind him when he went anywhere. But he had a speech impediment. Slow to talk. Slurred his words. And so they picked on him. If, if Billy would do something like wanting to know where, we called it the canteen when I was at camp, which was, you know, where you would go and get snacks and stuff. And he, he would ask the question, you know, what, what, where is the craft shop? And of course the boys mocking him would go, it, 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 it's over, over there, Billy boy. But the worst of it came on Thursday morning. See, Thursday morning, Billy's cabin was assigned to do the morning devotion. And his group of kids voted Billy to be the one to get up 
on the podium, at the microphone, in front of everyone, and give the devotion. When Pastor Capolo heard about this, he was furious that these boys were doing this to him. He knew they just wanted to snicker at him and make fun of him and laugh at him. But it was too late. He had already been assigned. And Billy didn't seem to mind. He was okay with it. So he came time, he came up, and he started going up those steps. He drugged that bag leg up that steps until he got up there to the microphone. He got out to the middle, middle to, to speak. And it took him at least 30 or 40 seconds to spit out seven words. This was all of his devotion. Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. Patrick Polo looked past Billy and out in that congregation of junior high boys and there was no snickering, there was no laughing, or tears rolling down their face. Some of the boys were so ashamed they would put their face in their hands thinking about what they had done and tried to do to Billy. You see, Billy's simple words have been the salt that brought the compassion out of these boys who would rather bully the treatment from mice. You see, it doesn't take fancy words, it doesn't take seminary degrees or special training to be salt and light. It only takes the love of God shining through us to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Now, if in my southern parable, the love of God shining through us is the salt, what are the grits? What are the grits in my parable? See, the grits are the people who don't believe, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who don't care about their Father, who may not believe that there is even a God out the grits are the unsaved, those who go through life with no clue that there exists a God who loves them so much that he would allow his son to be tortured and die for them. Ah, maybe they've heard of Jesus. Maybe they've heard the story, know some Bible stories, but it's not real to them. They don't really take it in. They don't comprehend the grace of God. They haven't experienced what it's like to be forgiven, what it's like to be made into a new creation. Those outside the church of the living God are the very reason we're called to be salt and light. Until Christians love the world as God loves the world, we will not be salt and light. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to grits and salt, salt cannot have an impact unless there's contact with the grits. You've got to put them together have that impact. We as followers of Christ have to have an impact. We have to have contact with those outside the church to have an impact on them. To follow Jesus, we have to make contact with non-Christians. Now, isn't it true that the longer you're a Christian, the fewer and fewer and fewer non-Christian friends you have? Have you noticed that? When I was younger, I had lots of non-Christian friends. When I was younger, I was one of those non-Christian friends. You know? But as we age, we tend to get people around us. But God says, you know what? We need to continue that, that fellowship. We need to be out there touching people in our neighborhoods who are non-Christians. When Jesus was there, he said, you know what? I want to change these people. I want to renew these people. I want to nurture. I want to do it through you. What's our vision here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church? Our vision statement is to make a difference. What's the next word? Today. Pastor Dave had to answer it in the early church. <laughs> it's our, okay, when are we supposed to make a difference? Today. We're supposed to make a difference today. That is our mission. 
We're called to be salt to the North Jefferson County. We're called to be salt with a divine calling to be shaken on Gardendale, Morris, Kimberly, Mount Olive, wherever you live. You're called to season whatever community you're from or living. But Jesus warned about salt that loses its flavor. That salt that needs to be thrown out, we use it to de-ice the sidewalks. You know, it's no good for grits anymore. Put it on the sidewalk. In Ephesians 5, St. Paul warns us that there are some sins out there that can hurt your saltiness. A few sins that put us in danger of what he says, losing our inheritance in the kingdom of God. But wait a minute. If my inheritance is not in the kingdom of God, whose kingdom do I inherit? Yeah. On several of the sins that Paul mentioned in our epistle lesson, if you look at your epistle lesson, some of them might stand out to you. You might go, uh-oh. Pastor Ed's going to hit this one again. I've heard him preach on this way too many times. But I'm not talking about sexual sins today. I'm talking about a sin that the church thinks is not so bad. Not so horrible. It's kind of accepted that we're going to do, even church people are going to do this. You've done this sin. I've done this sin. Sometimes we overlook how this sin affects our saltiness. Paul said this. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place are your words salty James the brother of Jesus said if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue he deceives himself and his religion is worthless as I was preparing this message I thought about last Sunday last Sunday's message last Sunday's worship service things that were going on and something kept ringing in my mind from last Sunday and I thought man I've got, I've got to bring that back up again so what rings in your mind about last Sunday what do you remember about last Sunday Pastor Dave really hopes you remember something what that's exactly what people would think first it's good to be here I thought of that immediately but it wasn't the thing that really related to me for this message it's good to be here, but I was thinking about Luther's explanation of the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment, you know, says this. We should fear and love God so that we not tell lies about our neighbor, okay? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, his, his words in the explanation that rung to me were, were how he expanded on it. So that we don't lose our saltiness. We should not betray him, our neighbor. Slander. Now, slander is really telling a lie about your neighbor. So, we're still with that. Ah, we should not hurt his reputation. What if I tell the truth about Doris and it hurts her reputation? Then I shouldn't have done it, right? But defend her. Speak well of him. Explain everything in the kindest way. People who spread rumors usually will go, This isn't gossip because it's true. Hmm. Is it really? not gossip, even if it's true. I think we should take everything we say and run it through the filter of Luther's explanation. Will what I say hurt her reputation? Does what I say defend her? Am I speaking well of him? Am I putting the best light on the situation? Colossians 4, 6 says this, Let your speech be gracious, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with Tabasco salt. No. But sometimes our word are like Tabasco. It burns people. It says, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. One of the most important places to sprinkle salt is not on grits, but on your words. 
After all, even our sin, our saltiness, our saltiness is a gift from God. It's impossible to please God without faith. We read in our Hebrews lesson this morning. Just as God sent his only son as a gift to humanity, through his sacrifice, we have forgiveness of sins. We have the gift of being salty through the spirit of Jesus. We have a ministry of reconciliation. The spirit of the living God empowers us to be nice, to be kind, to walk humbly with our God. But sometimes we don't take advantage of the power that he offers. Think of it for a second of someone's words that hurt you deeply. You may not remember what they said. There's an old saying that goes like this. It's so true. I may not remember what you said, but I will always remember how you made me feel. Now, those people that said that to you and hurt you deeply is one thing, but what about the times when you or I have said those words and hurt someone else deeply? Don't ever forget how we made them feel. But the most important words, when I think of my failures and my times when I haven't said the right thing, my times when I've been mean or uncaring, and the times when you've been mean or uncaring, the most important words that we can think of were spoken from the cross. Father, forgive them, but know not what they do. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes into us and gives us the ability to be salt and light. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we will use that Spirit's power, that we would tap into the resources that you give us to walk humbly with you. In Christ's name.